Hello. Welcome to the CGB Sports Show podcast, the last one before I jump over to Jolly Old England. Ugh, stop it. Don't do that. My God. Anyway, on this episode, I sit down with Brett Stoven, who is also heading to the UK soon, to play pro hockey in Dundee, Scotland. We chat about why he wanted to play overseas and what he still has left to accomplish at home before he hops across the pond later this summer. With free agency starting Monday in the NHL, Leah Hextall stops by to give her thoughts on what the Jets will and really will not be able to afford to do. And finally, Kelly Moore talks with Resby Coots about Janet Arnott, great Manitoba curler who passed away earlier this week. You'll hear all that on the podcast. Earlier this month, U of M Bison grad Brett Stoven signed his first pro hockey contract with the Dundee Stars of the Elite Ice Hockey League in the UK. And Brett joined me at the station to talk about his journey earlier today. So, Brett, uh, we talked a few months ago about you maybe looking to go overseas to play. And So tell me about the process that led to you signing with the Dundee Stars. Yeah, so over the last few years with the Bisons, um, you know, we just kind of We've been going overseas for preseason, and we kind of wanted to keep that option open. I've been talking openly with my coach, and, and I got an agent from overseas, and and I knew that's what I wanted to do when I was getting to the end of my, my school here. So, um, you know, over the last two seasons, we've been starting to kind of look a little more towards it with an open dialogue, and, and as the year went on last year, um, you know, my agent was talking to teams throughout the season, and he... He didn't really fill me in a lot on it because he wanted me to focus on the year. But right. as soon as the season ended, he called me up and had a bunch of different teams I, he wanted me, look, wanted me to look into. And um, obviously, I knew nothing about the leagues, knew nothing about the teams, knew nothing about the countries. So uh, it was pretty important for me to have an agent that knew quite a bit about the area and could do the work for me. Um, so I could just sit back and, and just kind of take his advice. And, you know, Dundee just kind of emerged they were the first ones to approach me and they were around for a few months actually waiting um and they were always every week every couple of weeks they'd get in contact with with my agent and it just seemed like they were very interested and you know for me it's not a huge city which is kind of nice i actually like that um so i think it just it just seemed right to go to dundee so tell me more about the city you're going to be moving to yeah, so Dundee is, uh, from what I've what I've found out so far, is a city of about forty thousand people. Okay, um, it's on the coast in northeastern Scotland. Um, it's surrounded by a lot of mountains and a lot of a lot of parks and stuff. And that's as an outdoorsy guy, that was pretty important for me to have an experience like that. And obviously, it's English speaking, um, strong Scottish accents, but uh, <laughs> I'm sure I can work through that. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, it's it's a and I guess the city is the city is a hockey city is what they consider themselves and you know they don't have a football team they don't have uh, rugby stuff like that so hockey's kind of their thing there and and they kind of rally behind the team quite a bit. Um, by the way, our coach is speaking and the players I've talked to say it's uh, they're pretty involved in the community and they take pride in that. So I'm looking forward to that. Sounds like it's going to be a kind of a more unique experience to be in a in a city in the UK where hockey is king. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. There's a lot of teams we were talking to have three soccer teams, football teams, I guess you mm-hmm. call them, inside the city. And yeah. that's that's the thing. And hockey's just kind of off to the side. But, um, you know, we played in Fife last year uh, and that was a hockey town. And you could 100% feel that. It felt like you're playing in a Canadian city um, when you went there compared to when we played in some of the other towns that were not necessarily focused on hockey. So 
I kind of expect Dundee to be similar to Fife in a way. And, um, you know, it's a, it's going to be a unique experience because it's still going to have, I'm pretty sure it's going to have that soccer atmosphere in the rank where they cheer rowdy. and yeah, a little rowdy, but at the same time, they actually do care a lot about their hockey team. So I think it's going to be a great experience. So the league that you're going to be playing in, is it all within the UK? Yeah. So it's England, Scotland, and Ireland. Okay. Yeah. Uh, how many teams? Uh, 10 teams. Is it the same league that you were playing exhibition games against with the Bison last year? Yeah, yeah. so we played, we've already played Glasgow, Fife, Belfast, Manchester, uh, and Edinburgh was in the league, but they dropped out. So, okay. um, so we have played quite a few teams there, and that's kind of how I got in contact with a few of the teams was they've seen me play over there. And you know, when, we, when we signed with Dundee, some of the fans were reaching out saying they've seen me play already. So okay. um, it's pretty exciting to be going over that league now. Any Canadians on the roster? I imagine there's a few. Yeah, there's a few. Uh, there's I think there are about 14 imports. So as of right now, I'm not sure exactly how many we have, but we've signed. I know for a fact there's three Canadians for sure. Okay. Um, one of them I used to play against from Calgary. Uh, I've been in contact with him throughout the whole process, Dryden Dow. Um, seems like a really good guy. I used to play against him, and I'm glad I'm not playing against him anymore. So, right. Um, yeah, as of right now, there's I know for sure there's three of us. Growing up in Canada and all the travel that you probably had to do for hockey, I feel like it won't be as much if you're just playing within the UK. Yeah, it's uh, on. Unfortunately, we are like the team that travels the most okay. in that league. But at the same time, is it bus train? Do it's, you know, it'll be bus with yeah. Dundee. But at the same time, our longest trip is almost what my shortest trip was in junior. Mm. So it's it's a lot of travel. There's only like one overnight trip a week kind of thing maybe every couple weeks it's an overnight trip but for the most part like i think the longest trip we have is like six or seven hours in the bus which that's nothing when you play in saskatoon and junior yeah (laughs) that's true so when do you move over there uh camp starts august 18th and i'm not really sure when i'll be leaving somewhere around august 15th probably okay uh got to kind of get things figured out once i get there they'll they'll set me up with a house and, and car and stuff like that um, but camp starts August 18th. It's a little earlier than, than North America. So, uh, my summer gets cut a little bit shorter, but nothing wrong with that. So in the less than two months you got left before then, is it all training or are you trying to blend training with seeing people that you're not going to be able to see for a, a while? Yeah, it's, it's a little bit of that. Um, you know, I'm going to be training. I've been training pretty much full time twice a day, uh, for the last two months here. Um, and I'm going to be working just a little bit, get a little, spending money in my pocket so I can spend time with those people. And then, uh, and then, yeah, the weekends, uh, I have a family reunion in Calgary in August. Um, but for the most part, it's just going to be spending time at the lake with my girlfriend and her family, spending time camping with my family. Um, you know, I grew up as an outdoorsy guy, so that's, you know, I, I can't stay in the city on a weekend. I just, I can't right. do it. So right. it'll be, it'll be with family and, and friends kind of out of the city, going out, doing some outdoor stuff on the weekends. So your love of the outdoors, how much time will you be able to explore Scotland, UK, when you're kind of not on the ice? I think quite a bit. The way we've been talking to some of the players and our coach, the way he talks about how they set it up, um, you know, we play usually three nights a week uh, and then practices. We we don't generally have a lot of practice, actually, because you just play. That's, you know, that's where everything comes together. So um, we'll have Mondays off, every single Monday's off, because um, they have curling on our ice. Oh, yeah. Uh, believe, believe it or not, Dundee, <laughs> like the ice is, there's like six or seven sheets of curling across it. Well, there's so a lot of rough. curling heritage in Scotland. Exactly. So Mondays are off strictly for curling. They curl out of our rink. You got to curl? Oh, f- 
I'm not very good, but like I love to do it. Right. It's just it's messy. Yeah. Um, and then Tuesdays are usually gonna be short, so I'm pretty sure from like Sunday night after the game till Tuesday sometime, all the time to just kind of go out and roam around. And you know, we have free golf at a lot of courses, oh, okay. so I'm sure we're gonna that's be doing bad. a lot of that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's kind of the plan for for days off is you know golf, see the area, go and maybe do some hikes or something like that. And then how long is the season? I'll be gone for about eight to nine months, uh, depending on playoffs and things like that, obviously. But mm-hmm. I th- believe last year they were done March 30th. So okay. it's that's the end of the season. And then you just kind of see where it goes from there. And what is a pro hockey salary in the UK? Uh, it's not a lot. Uh, we're starting around, it works out to usually between 25000 kind of upwards of that. Um, and then they pay for most of your expenses as well. So like your car, your house, your flights over, your work visa, stuff like that. So they, in Europe, they generally take care of you very well. Um, where, and if, even if I brought my girlfriend over, they would pay for her flight, they would help her find a job, things like that. So, um, they do treat you very well overseas. And that's one of the biggest pulling factors for me over there was I wanted to go somewhere where if I did bring my girlfriend, if I did bring family, like they would take care of me and right. then I wouldn't get shipped around and just kind of have to figure it out myself kind of thing. Right. And now you get to say you're a pro hockey player. Yeah. Yeah. That's, <laughs> it's been a dream since I was a little kid. So it's uh first time I can officially say that. Well, congratulations. Thanks for coming in and good luck overseas. Yeah. Thank you for having me. NHL free agency opens Monday, Canada day. And joining me now to preview it all is our hockey expert, Leah Hextall. Before we get into what the Winnipeg Jets might do, is there any part of you that wishes free agency maybe started a little sooner? You know what? I didn't, I have to say, I don't know if I've really ever thought of it that way. I mean, it would be nice if kind of by the time the Stanley Cup and the awards were over in the draft that everything was done. I think it would probably help general managers and teams if they were able to know what was going on with their teams perhaps prior to the draft because then they might have a better indication of what they should do with trades, et cetera. But I, I kind of like the tradition of it being on July 1st. It's very Canadian of us. I'm sure the, the hockey reporters don't like it that much because they have to work <laughs> on Canada Day. I don't feel too bad for no, them. <laughs> no, I don't either. They have, they, they'll be okay. So the Jets, yeah. we've been uh, – I mean, real, their big story is the RFAs, but though, that, that could be months still before that's resolved. What we will at least maybe learn on Monday or sometime early next week is what's going to happen with the UFAs, and the big ones for the Jets are Tyler Myers, Ben Sherratt, Brandon Tanev. We talked lo- earlier this week about Myers and how the price tag seems too high. Do we still think that? And what do we think of Sherrod and Tanev? Will they be back with the Jets next year? My expectation, and I think Jets fans' expectation should be that anyone who is an uh, unrestricted free agent come July 1st will not be back with the Winnipeg Jets next year. From what I'm hearing, this is not a process that is going well. And it's not that the two sides don't want to make deals. It's just simply that, to your point, Christian, they have two important RFAs to get signed. And I think everyone needs to understand that if Kevin Sheveldayoff has Patrick Laine and Kyle Connor as RFAs and as stars in this league signed by camp, ready to go for the season, that's a big win. You have to remember that we've seen it with the Marner situation 
in Toronto. We've talked about how these young players are not coming in to take hometown discounts anymore or fit themselves within. And this is not a hit against Patrick Laine or Kyle Connor, but the fact of the matter is, is that they deserve to have proper contracts. And Kevin Shoveldayoff has a lot of work just to get both of them signed. So the unrestricted free agents, they're not coming back. The only way that you might perhaps, I could see maybe Sherrod, maybe if he goes out and test drives it and he doesn't get what he needs, maybe he would come back. But I really think that Jets fans have to understand and, and forget all these hot takes that you're hearing to get these two very important and very pivotal RFA signed is a win for Kevin Sheveldayoff in this offseason. All right, two I did not mention. They were RFAs. They could have been RFAs, but uh, Nathan Beaulieu and Joe Morrow, they were not tendered. They were not given qualifying offers by the Winnipeg Jets. Therefore, they can become UFAs on July 1st. Do you see either of them back with the team next year? That could definitely be a possibility. But again, I think people really have to prepare themselves for the fact that there may be two signings this offseason. And if they are signed, that is a win for the Jets. And people also have to prepare themselves, including the Winnipeg Jets coaching staff, for the fact that this is the team. This is the team that they're going to have next year. And it's not going to be as good as the team they had this year. But yet the expectations from ownership is for them still to make the playoffs. Paul Maurice and his coaching staff, not to say that they're not always working because they are, but they're going to have to coach their butts off next year. They're also going to have to make sure that Connor and Line are ready to go at the start of the season, that they're signed because there is a chance that that may not happen. And there could be some holdouts. They need that to play in their favor. They need Line to return to form and have a much better year. They need Connor to play well. They need Hellebuck to play well. They need Bufflin to play well. They need Wheeler and Shifley to continue doing what they do. All these pieces need to happen next year. I'm going to say this right now. Next season, the coaching staff's jobs are on the line, and that's the bottom line. They have to make the playoffs, and they have to go forward, and I would say they've got to at least get to the second round or else we could see a change. Two others that are RFAs arbitration eligible are Andrew Kopp and Neil Pionk. Do we expect those to go to arbitration? I don't think so. I think we're going to see this work out. I think these two players are ones that they're going to have the ability to get done. Um, I, you know, th- those are pieces to the puzzle and they're important pieces to the puzzle. And, you know, that's where the cap not going quite up to that $83 million is where for players like that, Pionk and Kopp, those are, those are their salaries right there. So I don't think we're going to see arbitration, but you know what? Um, arbitration, everybody thinks of that as a bad word. It's really not. I mean, it's not a great situation because then you put two people in the room and it becomes the team's job to tear down the player to prove why they shouldn't pay them enough. And when a player hears that, trust me, it fractures the relationship a bit. We could look to Jacob Truba and go no further than that because I guarantee you that played into it. But I really think that they're going to be able to get those two deals done. And you know what? Maybe they go to arbitration, but I think in the end, that's going to be done. And just before, this is making sure I cross all the T's. Part Lindholm, also a UFA, is on the list of players that could come back. Is that someone that the Jets might say, okay, $1.5 million, bring him back and play on the fourth line for 40 games? I mean, they could, but I don't really know if that's even going to be 
an ability for them. Because quite frankly, Christian, I'm really handcuffed when I think of what the deals for Lina and Connor are going to be. I still don't know. I've heard different things. I've heard that Patrick Lina is willing to do a bridge deal. Um, he's okay with that. What that money though is for a bridge deal, I'm, I have no idea. And I'm really curious to see what they're going to do with Kyle Connor. So for players, and I, I don't mean any disrespect, but for players that low down the food chain that really are, they're not even those puzzle pieces that help out. They're the guys in the press box in case someone gets hurt. And that's not a hit against them. It's just the reality. So I don't think those are as much on the radar right now, but all those little players and pieces to the puzzle, they could end up coming back. But I think that Sheveldale has to get those other two deals signed before he can figure that out because that money, every single penny is important when it comes to this off season. This past Monday, one of the great leads in Manitoba curling history lost her fight with cancer. Janet Arnott passed away at the age of 63. Born Janet Laliberti, she was part of her sister Connie's world championship winning team in 1984, won two other national titles, later on got into coaching, helping Jennifer Jones win Olympic gold in 2014. Earlier today, our Kelly Moore talked to past chair of Curling Canada, Resby Coots, about Janet's legacy. What we want to focus on with you today is what she meant to the sport of curling in this province and, and by extension, this country. Well, as you say, Kelly, uh, yeah, it truly is as, as a, another sad week in, in um, the sport of curling and, and in this uh, entire community because, uh, because Janet was uh, uh, an important part of, of Manitoba curling and Manitoba curling history and, and an important Manitoban uh, I. You have to think of her in two separate contexts. You have to think of her as uh, um, a champion, uh, you know, a wonderful competitor, uh, you know, going back, uh, uh, as you say, to uh, to the the Laliberti uh, name and the uh, the 1984 uh, Laliberti World Champion team, and 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 then forward from that, uh, you know, as a, a wonderful competitor and an athlete and and then you have to think of her as um, as a coach and uh, you know uh, most uh, notably uh, you know coach of that uh, 2014 Jennifer Jones uh, gold medal olympic team uh, but but an important part of of the curl manitoba coaching program and and the high performance program and, and the the thing that i think of is is what she represents as that person who who made the transition from being uh, the 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 great athlete the champion to being the great coach and and teacher and and uh, and what um, I, I guess a role model for uh, for athletes uh, you know who who compete and compete very strongly for a very long time and then some give back and and some don't and she definitely was. Uh, was one who gave back. And, and, you know, I guess the other thing uh, with Janet Resby, and, and maybe we just didn't appreciate her as much as we should have because she was very quiet and reserved. She would much prefer that we talk to anybody else other than her, uh, but I'll never forget that smile on her face uh, at uh, the gold medal ceremony in Sochi. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, a highlight a highlight of uh, of her career and 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 isn't it great that a person who 
you know, who had so many competitive highlights uh, could get the same pleasure and, and perhaps even more pleasure, who knows, uh, uh, from, you know, from the other side of the, uh, of the, uh, uh, the scenario, the you know, as the coach, but but you're right, such a such a private person, uh, you know that uh, you know we we all knew uh, Janet, uh, but did we really know her? You know, she's <laughs> a very quiet person. Yeah, and 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 I just want to revisit uh, how good a curler she was, Resby, because uh, you know we're going back to the mid '80s, so some people might not remember uh, that that Connie Laliberti rink was maybe didn't have quite the success that the Jennifer Jones rink had, but certainly from a profile and, and from where they were in the, the community would certainly be, I think a comparison that you could draw for the younger uh, people listening today. Oh, I think absolutely. You draw the comparison uh, because it was a different time. Um, yeah. You know, Connie and her team um, were the best. Uh, you know, they were the 1984 world champions in a time when the um, the sport didn't offer the same competitive opportunities that it does now, uh, you know, with all of with all of the um, uh, respect in the world for for uh, an admiration for for Team uh, Jennifer Jones and their accomplishments, uh, they they were accomplished. They have been accomplished. They are still being accomplished in an era when uh, it's it's virtually a full time thing for. For these uh, for these elite athletes, uh, uh, in in context of training, in context of practice, in context of competing a lot to prepare themselves for major competition, and and uh, uh, Janet and and Connie uh, in the '80s were playing in a time when it was very much a sideline activity, and and uh, the elite of that era would be the elite of this era if they were competing, uh, you know. Uh, in this time with the abilities they had. And, and, and we have to remember that, that, you know, prior to 84 and, and to be honest, I can't, I can't uh, specifically say, you know, kind of when that Laliberti team uh, uh, sort of began its ascendancy, but a world championship in 1984, uh, um, Canadian champion in 1992, uh, Canadian and world silver medalist at the world championship in Brandon in 1995, uh, uh, you know, so well over uh, a decade, uh, you know, which is uh, in, in many ways parallels the, the Jones example as well. Tune into the CGOB Sports Show weeknights from 7 to 9 with me, Christian O'Mell, or you can download the podcast on iTunes. It's actually on iTunes now. Wow. If you got an Android, then I think you're out of luck, but Apple products, you're good. So listen to the podcast. Please subscribe. You can rate it. What's the worst that could happen?